At the beginning of our text for this morning, in John 4, Jesus finds himself somewhere in the Jordan River Valley, down near Jerusalem. He has to make his way with his disciples back home to Galilee. What's interesting is that although he could have chosen several routes to make his way back to Galilee, Jesus decided to go take the route that brought him through Samaria. We don't really know why. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe something moved deep within him that led him in that direction. Maybe his disciples encouraged him to go that direction. We just aren't told. Once he gets there, uh, he is tired around noon, as often happens when we're on a long walk, and he sends his disciples to get lunch in a neighboring town. Why he stays behind, we don't know. But he does, and sits down by a well. Equally, there's a woman who comes to him. Now, according to scholars, this woman likely came from a village about a mile and a half away. And they say there were other water sources that were closer to where she likely lived than this well. And yet, for some reason, she made her way to that well. Usually when people go fetch water or do other hard work in the hot Palestinian sun, they'll do it either early in the morning or late in the evening when it's cool out. But this woman, for a reason that we do not know, decided to go to the well at noon. Now, verse 4, the verse just before our text begins, has the lines, it was necessary, there was a compulsion for Jesus to go through Samaria. The gospel writer uses this in other contexts, it's because God somehow has a hand in this action. There's some sort of inner compulsion that seems to draw these two people together a chance encounter. Back in 2010, uh, I was sitting in a local uh, restaurant in Harvard Square with two of my close friends. And uh, as often was the case, we were chatting about uh, the state of the world and lamenting the political state of the world at the time. Some things don't change. And as we were lamenting this, one of the things that I brought up, I, I got fairly worked up, which if you know me happens occasionally, I got fairly worked up uh, over one of the people that I really don't like, Ayn Rand, and her philosophy of objectivism, which holds up individualism and selfishness as being the highest values and disparages altruism. And I saw how uh, destructive this could be in our society, and I said, gosh, what we really need is an ideological shift in this country. And where we were chatting uh, a little bit more intensely, and I said, "Well, you know, let's." I'm like, if, if Ayn Rand can write a crummy novel uh, that can change people's minds, maybe I can write a crummy novel that can change people's minds. <laughs> and so this idea was just somehow planted. It was just planted in my head. But the next year, I was teaching at a boarding school, and I was busy teaching and preparing my lessons and coaching, and I didn't have time to work on it. Then I found myself working at a church in Iowa and working all the time and not really having time to work on it. But then when I left the church in Iowa, I finally had a moment and I said, this is when I'm going to do it. This is when I'm going to work on this project. And for some reason, I don't know why, there was some inner compulsion to do this project. And for some reason, I decided to do it on uh, have some of the major characters be in the oil industry. I don't know why I did this, but I did it. And uh, so, I, so the, the book is set in Nigeria and... In order to prepare for it, I figured I had to come down to Houston because one of my characters I wanted to be from Houston. 
And as chance would happen, uh, my best friend from elementary school actually lives in Houston. Uh, and my mother's best friend from when she was single back in the 70s lives in Houston. And so when I came down to visit, I had these wonderful hosts. And even though it was mid-July in Houston, usually not a great time to visit, even though it was mid-July in Houston, I loved my time in Houston. And the city surprised me. Had it not been for that trip, I would never have applied to this position in this church. Interesting how chance encounters, chance happenings lead you in certain directions. This conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well is a fascinating one. In a deeply patriarchal society, you have a man and a woman talking as equals in this setting. Jesus says, get me a drink, and she comes right back at him. Why is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And they don't stop there. They go deeper into things. Jesus talks about this living water, and she's like, are you insulting the well of my ancestors? And again, this is a woman who's got quite a bit of chutzpah. And as they go back and forth, they have this very deep exchange about faith, about their cultures, and about what God has in store for them. And in the end, the woman comes away changed. One conversation. A few months after I was sitting down with my friends in that restaurant in Harvard Square, uh, I was watching a rowing race. Now, I was a rower when I was in college, and when I was in graduate school, I helped coach rowing my final year of graduate school, which was in 07. And this was 2010, so this was uh, three years later. So the people that I had coached when they were freshmen were now seniors. And so I went down to watch this race between the Harvard, Yale, and Princeton lightweight crew teams uh, that was in uh, Cambridge at that time. And after the race was over, I was chatting with uh, one of the Yale rowers that I had known when he was a freshman. Uh, Spencer Salavara. And I was like, Spencer, how's it going? And we sort of got into the conversation. And he's like, well, I didn't see him in three years. And I said, well, what, what did you end up majoring in at Yale? He said, I majored in religion. I said, really? That's odd. I didn't know you were that interested in religion. Um, and then he went on to say that he was going to go to graduate school at Oxford to study religious stuff even more deeply. I was like, wow. And he's like, you know, it's actually because of you. And this is where I was a little confused. I was like, say more. He said, we had a conversation once. The boathouse at Yale is about 20 minutes away from the campus, downtown campus. So every day you go out for practice, you've got to get on the bus and go out, to the, uh, go out to the course. And one day I was sitting next to Spencer, and we started talking, and he asked what I was studying. And I got very excited about the theology that I was reading that day and started explaining this to him in great depth and great detail. And he was intrigued. And, of course, Spencer's a very strong-willed guy, very bright. And he started... You know, going back and forth and pushing back and forth. And we had this great conversation. And then I left because, you know, I love having theological conversations, so I didn't think much of it. Turned out that conversation had a big impact on Spencer Salvar's life. Can you think of a random conversation you've had that's changed your life? One conversation? Probably the most remarkable and notable thing about this text is that Jesus, of course, is a good Jew, a rabbi, talking with this woman who's a Samaritan. Now, Samaria uh, is the old 
uh, north, uh, section of northern Israel. And those of you who know your Old Testaments very well uh, know that uh, Israel was divided uh, after King Solomon to the northern Israel and southern Israel, and that northern Israel uh, in the year 722 was conquered by the Assyrian Empire, the big nasty uh, empire of the day. And the Assyrians, after they conquered northern Israel, they took a bunch of those people back to Assyria, and then they also populated some people from Assyria into northern Israel. And actually that area of Samaria then, based on Jewish religion, had its own sort of version of Judaism that they ended up having. And is, as is so often the case, uh, we tend to be most bitter enemies with actually people that are fairly similar to us, uh, but have only slight differences. And so again, the Samaritans and the Jews were just bitter enemies. Going back, uh, you know, 700 years, this is a long-standing bitterness that existed. So here are Jesus and the Samaritan woman coming to confront one another at this well. And again, the focus of their conversation, are there differences? Why are you talking to me? I'm different than you. Why do you believe that? We, we worship in two different places. We see the world in two very different ways. And yet Jesus kept coming back at her and kept talking more and said, yes, but there's a future in play where we will all worship God uh, in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. God transcends our differences. Here, this conversation between two people from very different cultures, and certainly the woman and Jesus had very different views of one another, by the end of that conversation, something changed. They saw each other in a new way. Now, when I was in Nigeria to do that research on that book, uh, which one of these days I'll, I'll finish. Um, it's getting there. It's getting there. Uh, while I was there, I, when I was in Lagos, you know, the largest city in Nigeria, um, one of the people that I knew, th- that I met through a sort of alumni network uh, was there, and his wife introduced me to her friend's pastor in Lagos whose assistant pastor's friend had a church in Port Harcourt. I'm not making this up. And so I found myself in Port Harcourt, and I had this guy's cell phone number, and I called him up in Port Harcourt. So this random American who had about a connection more than seven connections away, seven degrees of separation away, calls him up, and so he invites me to his church. So I find myself uh, in a Pentecostal church in a storefront with 30 people in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Now, um, a few days before, I had been to a Thursday night big mega church uh, service in Nigeria. And this was, if you've been to Nigeria, you know that the prosperity gospel is alive and well in Nigeria. Uh, the more God loves you, the more money you have. Uh, that is the theology that is predominant among Protestants uh, in Nigeria, uh, and particularly of a very Pentecostal sort of strain of that. And I, coming away from that service on that Thursday night, was quite judgmental of this type of uh, religion. So when I went into this small Pentecostal church, (laughs) I came in with quite a few biases. But it was a small group of people, 30 people, sitting in chairs in a circle. Started singing, uh, and we were all singing together. Uh, Me, probably quieter than the others. Um, And then do some prayers. And then the pastor turns to me and surprises me and said, how about you stand up now and do a Q&A for the sermon? On the spot. Puts me on the spot. So I say, okay, sure. Uh, so I stand up there, and we have an exchange for 30 minutes where they're asking me questions that show, again, especially the assistant to this minister, 
very, very bright guy, was asking very pointed questions. He said, okay, do you guys speak in tongues? If so, why not? I'm like, okay, that's a good question. Uh-huh. And I answered that question. Asked me about, well, you know, the, the, there's a complaint in the United States of a decline in morality and morals. What do you say about that? Uh, and how is your church working to stop that? It's like, well, that's a complicated question, but I'll do my best to, to wrestle with it. And I asked them questions back, too, you know, about how often they read the scriptures and how do they wrestle with certain passages. We had this very intense exchange, but the, the Holy Spirit was present. And as I finished that service, there was something different that I saw about those people's worshiping experiences. They were individuals who were coming together in the Spirit to worship God. Did they do it differently than I did? Yes. But unlike the previous Thursday night, I came away with my viewpoint changed. And after the service was done, actually that guy who had been my main antagonist came up to me and shook my hand and said, thank you. You actually surprised me with your answers. This interaction between Jesus and the woman at Samaritan Well not only changes that woman. Yes, that woman's life has changed after Jesus reveals that he knows more information about her than she thinks. She opens herself up. She then hears the message that he's the Messiah, this awaited for person, and she becomes hopeful. Her perspective on her life changes. Then the disciples come back, and they, of course, want to get moving on. They want nothing to do with the Samaritans. Jesus' response is, just as the harvest will be picked in four months, we have a ripe harvest right before us, right here in Samaria, breaking down their expectations. And then, surprise of all, they end up spending two days, two full days in this small village, talking with these Samaritans, this bunch of Jews, talking with these Samaritans about the future that God has in store for them. And the text tells us that people in this village are like, yes, a new age is possible and is coming. Chance encounter changes all of them. Three years ago, uh, when I was uh, preparing to write this book, I uh, wanted to go down and talk to some of my friends in the publishing industry. So I found myself in New York City. Now, as a good Bostonian, New York is generally not my favorite place. Uh, Bostonians growing up, we always thought that the entrance to hell was located somewhere in Manhattan. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, there we were, there I was in New York, and I uh, ended up staying with a friend of mine who had been a a student that I knew when he was, uh, several years ago, when he had been a student at Harvard. And uh, first day I'm there, after work, he's like, hey, do you want to go to the gym? And I said, sure, I had brought some workout clothes. And so I followed him down to the gym, and he happened to, because they give a very cheap young alumni discount, he was a member of the Harvard Club in New York, and they had a nice gym there, so he could go work out there cheaper than any other place. So we go into the Harvard Club in New York. I had never been in the building before. It's this beautiful building in, uh, in Midtown. And I walk up, and on the, the gym's on the top floor. On my way up, I pass by the library. Now, I'm one of these people who can't pass by a library without stepping into it and checking it out. So I drag my friend in and spend a few minutes you know, checking out the library. And I go over to the, one of the bookshelves, and I start reading some of the titles. And I hear from behind me, John, someone calling out my name. Turn around. Here's this student that I had known when I was working at Harvard. He had been, he had been on the floor of my, uh, the same floor where I lived in the, in the dorm. And we'd had all these endless discussions, and he came up to me, and I said, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I live in the Bay Area. I live in San Francisco, but I'm in just for that day for a job, for, for, for interviewing people for his company. What are the chances? This is the first time I've ever been in this building. I happened to go into the library because I wanted to go into the library, and this guy was taking a break from his work to go to the library. He lived in the Bay Area. It's the one day he was there. So there we are in the library together. 
And he says, you know, I want you to know that uh, in spite of our very intense theological discussions back when I was a freshman, I actually found my, I found my way back to God. I said, oh. I said, it's great. And he said, do you have any time to talk later on tonight? Now, I had a friend of mine who was having a 50th birthday party that night. I was like, well, I, I said, well, maybe. I'm like, well, what do you, what's your plan? He said, well, I've got to go to uh, St. Francis, a Catholic church, where I'm going to a meeting, uh, an N.A. meeting. N.A. is for Narcotics Anonymous. And I said, okay. I said, I'll try and make time. So he said, bye. We left, and I, a few hours later, I was at this 50th birthday party. It wasn't a very big gathering. I get a call on my phone. And it's this guy calling me up. He said, can you grab a late dinner? I said, sure. So I excuse myself from the party, go around and meet this guy somewhere in Manhattan. We sit down, we have dinner, talk for over an hour. Tells me all about his story, uh, all about the, his struggling with addiction with pills uh, through his time as an undergraduate uh, and also alcohol and since then and how he's sort of struggling with it right in the midst of the struggle right there. So again, we talk for a good solid hour, very deep conversation, and then I leave and I go about my way. Next morning, he uh, sends me a text. He says, thank you, John. He said, you probably saved my life last night. It's amazing what a chance encounter can do to change someone's life. Has that ever happened to you?